0: Pacific Radio, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso Cottage Grove, in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, in Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM Columbus, In Palinville, New York, a 102.9 FM WLPP. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, The Progressive Voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey and Blanket in the Globe, five days a week on Radio Sputnik, usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, but by golly, let's give that guy a day off. So instead, you have me. I'm Angie Caro. I'm the host of In Deep with Angie Caro on some of these very same stations. and I'm, whew, I don't know if I'm glad to be sitting in for Brad or not. If you thought this election could get any weirder, any more distressing, any more hysterical, well, you were psychic, weren't you? FBI Director James Comey's bombshell announcement about so far completely non-bombshell developments in the Hillary Clinton email scandal. Okay, I'm making those little air quotes over here. Scandal. Blowback to his comments that includes two official ethical complaints, cross-party condemnation, and calls for resignation. Donna Brazile allegedly shown in WikiLeaks' stolen emails as pre-feeding debate questions to Hillary, new allegations of voter suppression across three states, Trump supporters shouting Jew S.A., which led to even the completely amoral Kellyanne Conway to use the term deplorable. Wait till you hear how Trumpsters responded to that one. And PayPal founder Peter Thiel made an impassioned plea on behalf of oppressed, and misunderstood single digit millionaires. Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll get inside details on the ethical complaints spawned by James Comey's mouth. We'll spend a bit of time with Mr. Teal, though, first, shall we? Because I don't want Brad getting complaints that I have no sympathy for millionaires, single digit and above. Peter Teal is famous for bankrupting Gawker.com either because he is a privacy superhero or because he was mad that they outed him, or some blend of the two. He spoke to the National Press Club on Monday, explaining why he's endorsing and voting for Donald Trump. It was, shall we say, a fascinating adventure into the mind of someone who really doesn't get out as much as he should. Let's hear some highlights, shall we?
1: 64% of those over the age of 55 have less than a year's worth of savings to their name. That is a problem, especially when this is the only country where you have to pay up to 10 times as much for simple medicines as you would pay anywhere else. America's overpriced health care system might help subsidize the rest of the world, but that doesn't help the Americans who can't afford it, and they've started to notice.
0: Now here we have an apparently very sympathetic man. Medicines are too expensive, especially here in the United States, in fact, notably here in the United States, which is why people try to go to Mexico and Canada to still try to get cheaper medicines. But you'll notice here, and this is a theme that came up again and again, he doesn't go into all the efforts that have happened in Washington to try to bring down the prices of medicine. You know, this election we keep seeing the false equivalency at work, both on the campaign trail and in the media. And now from Peter Thiel, he does not acknowledge that what happened in Washington between two very specific wrangling parties are in part to blame for what's a hell—it's it, completely to blame for what's happening with what pharmaceutical companies get away with. Peter Thiel posits the problem and doesn't probe it. Now, mind you, he's positing it as a reason to support Trump. But if he wants to make a fair case, he has to acknowledge that all motion has been stymied in Washington between a president who has tried to get things done with some, well, arguably, you can call it help from the Democrats in Congress, and a Republican Party that would not let anything happen. Darn it. I'm being clean today. Now, so you know where I'm coming from, in case you have never heard me sit in for Brad before. I'm not a dem. I'm an independent. I think there's a lot of gray area when it comes to who's being supported by the, well, everybody in Washington is supported by the corporations. We already know that if, when, crossed fingers, Hillary Clinton gets in, We're going to have to constantly pressure her to at least occasionally deny her affiliations with Wall Street and with multi-gazillionaire supporters to work on behalf of the poor and the middle class. That's the reality. But for him not to acknowledge, for Peter Thiel not to acknowledge that there are significant differences between her and Donald Trump, In experience, in personal affiliations, in priorities? That's just disingenuous. Let's hear what else he has to say.
1: Now, not everyone is hurting. In the wealthy suburbs that ring Washington, D.C., people are doing just fine. Where I work in Silicon Valley, people are doing just great.
0: Okay, here we have a man who needs to get out of his limo more often. This is really revealing. People in Silicon Valley, San Jose, Santa Clara County, San Mateo County, San Francisco, all the environs around are not doing great. That is such a revealing thing to say. To really explain how huge the gulf is hereabouts between the haves and the have nots. This is rough because it's very hard to count the homeless. It's very hard to get an idea who's really out there sleeping every night on the streets because sometimes they get into shelters and sometimes they actually find an apartment. Sometimes they just leave. And it's not like they're registered anywhere. But long story short, in the three counties I just mentioned, it's believed that in each case it's remarkably similar in the three counties, which are very different sizes. Roughly 6,500 people are sleeping on the streets or along creeks or underneath the freeways every night. And that doesn't even count the people who are barely hanging on to their homes. The people who are being bumped out of San Francisco because the rent has gone up to $3,000 a month on a fairly ugly tiny one-bedroom apartment. Peter Thiel thinks everyone in Silicon Valley is doing great. Wow. I think that's what we call delusional.
1: This election year, both major candidates are imperfect people to say the least. Now, I don't agree with everything Donald Trump has said and done, and I don't think the millions of other people voting for him do either. Nobody thinks his comments about women were acceptable. I agree, they were clearly offensive and inappropriate. But I don't think the voters pull the lever in order to endorse a candidate's flaws.
0: That's a pretty telling one, isn't it? He barely acknowledges that these impressions of Donald Trump's character have a name, sexual predator. I don't care how much your money cushions you, how can you be indifferent to that? Maybe one of the lessons is that in Silicon Valley, it's still primarily males that are in power. Maybe it's the fact that women are still routinely sexually harassed on the job. Maybe it's because they're not seen as equals there yet. So the fact that any number of them has sprung up, let's say half of them are lying. Statistically, That's not probable, but if half of those women are lying about how Donald Trump has talked to them, has handled them, there's a rape trial coming up with a child involved. Even if half of this is wrong, he is defending putting a sexual predator in office, in arguably the highest office in the world, and dismissing in a few casual sentences key things about his character, because you see, that's not what's important. I don't even think I need to say anything more about that.
1: We're voting for Trump because we judge the leadership of our country to have failed. This judgment has been hard to accept for some of the country's most fortunate, socially prominent people. It's certainly been hard to accept for Silicon Valley, where many people have learned to keep quiet if they dissent from the coastal bubble.
0: Yes, the money'd suffer a great deal of intolerance. It's the people whose opinions are being oppressed in Silicon Valley, the people who have no access to venues to say what they want to say, who have no money to protect them from the consequences. They're the ones that we need to worry about in this campaign.
1: Check. This intolerance has taken on some bizarre forms. The Advocate, a magazine which once praised me as a gay innovator, even published an article saying that as of now I am, and I quote, not a gay man, unquote, because I don't agree with their politics. The lie behind the buzzword of diversity could not be made more clear. If you don't conform, then you don't count as diverse no matter what your personal background.
0: Yes, it is absolutely possible that the Advocate magazine has decided that he's not doing gay right because they're intolerant or because they're inconsistent or because his opinions about Donald Trump make him someone to be ostracized and they're unfair about all that. Or it could be that Donald Trump is the culmination of a Republican plan, decades old, to engage the most extreme of the most extreme. Not people who are spiritual or who call themselves Christians. The people who wish to push Christianity on the rest of us. The people willing to lie for the Lord. The people behind the National Organization for Marriage. The people who favor Lou Dobbs and every conceivable off-the-wall preacher you can imagine. Does he really think There is no connection between that mentality and the Republican embrace of that mentality and its ultimate culmination in Donald Trump. Does he really think that's irrelevant to how the advocate might feel about him? Okay, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. What else?
1: Free trade has not worked out well for all of America. It helps that Trump, um, it helps Trump that the other side just doesn't get it. All of our elites preach free trade. The highly educated people who make public policy explain that cheap imports make everyone a winner, according to economic theory. But in actual practice, we've lost tens of thousands of factories and millions of jobs to foreign trade. The heartland has been devastated. Maybe policymakers really believe that nobody loses, or maybe they don't worry about it too much, because they think they're among the winners.
0: Okay, we're back again on the false equivalencies or the omission of critical information. Again, we have had eight years of some effort, not enough, not independent enough, but some effort to deal with trade imbalances, to deal with world situations in large, to deal with economic situations in large, And every single one has been stymied by the party headed by Donald Trump. Now, to be fair, Peter Thiel, throughout this great statement, has faulted the parties equally. So we're not saying he's a Republican bashing Democrats. But that comes back to false equivalency. You cannot throw out these generalizations without acknowledging the history of how we got where we are and how all the different parties have acted. He's throwing out blanket statements to say, and this is why I support Trump. And let's get to something really important here. Donald Trump has not put out an agenda. You'll hear Peter Thiel referring to Donald Trump's agenda. Have you seen one? Have you seen any plans? Have you seen policy? Have you seen proposals? I have not. How in the world is he positing that Donald Trump is going to deal with all these very critical problems, some of which I agree with him are critical problems, when we have no idea what he's going to do besides call people names? That's not a policy. That's not a plan. There are any number of things, some excerpts I'm playing for you, and some you should go listen for yourself on C-SPAN, where they also have a transcript on their website. Some of these things that he is positing are real problems. If he were supporting a candidate who put out real proposals, we would have something to argue about here, something to discuss civilly even. But he's not acknowledging that none of that has happened. He's using these statements to support A name-calling, insulting, too easily angered, too hypersensitive, arguably delusional man and putting him in the highest office in the country. That doesn't make any sense. If nothing else, Peter Thiel should know how to make a better case than that. But wait, there's more. I'm not going to spend too much time on that one, except again, he doesn't acknowledge any nuances. He doesn't acknowledge any argument. He doesn't acknowledge what the people on the left have been trying to get Washington to do.
1: I think Trump voters are also tired of war.
0: He's just talking about war. And in fact, the people most supported by the war industries are the problem here and the fact that they are able to buy politicians. And as we've already seen from Peter Thiel, he can fund his own version of justice with his money too. So how is he any different? If you don't attack the profit motive in politics, if you don't get money out of the game, it doesn't matter whether you want a buffoon like Trump in there or not. The first thing you have to do is acknowledge how the money works. And he is again creating that false equivalency. Everybody in Washington supports war. I'd like to see him tell Barbara Lee that. That would be fun.
1: There's more. But the big things he's right about amount to a much needed dose of humility in our politics.
0: Trump, humility.
1: (laughs) Just as much as it's about making America great, Trump's agenda is about making America a normal country. A normal country doesn't have a half trillion dollar trade deficit. A normal country doesn't fight five simultaneous undeclared wars. In a normal country, the government actually does its job.
0: In a normal country, the government could do its job because they haven't spent 8 years glaring across the aisle at each other because of Republican recalcitrance. He can't get away from the fact that Trump is the Republican candidate. They can disclaim him all they want. He is the natural son of everything they've been engaging in since the Southern strategy. And you want to talk about someone who's going to keep us out of war? Shall we talk about Trump's relationship with Putin?
1: No matter what happens in this election, what Trump represents isn't crazy, and it's not going away. Not crazy. And one of the striking things is that if you're, you know, if you're middle class, if you're upper middle class, if you're a single digit millionaire like Hulk Hogan, you have no effective access to our legal system. It costs too much.
0: Okay, that's the big one. That's the payoff. That's the one that, you know, fair or unfair, when someone of his caliber, someone of his high profile, someone of his power, someone of his riches, stands up and makes a speech like this, and then during the Q&A session, talks about single-digit millionaires, about how people in that bracket can't get justice can't afford justice. It's again a complete abnegation of the fact that these are not the poor people of America. And the fact that Peter Thiel decided to put his money behind Hulk Hogan to buy justice is not a pattern we want to see repeated here and normalized in the United States. What happened with Gawker was not pretty. And later on, again, something I agree with Peter Thiel on, he talked about the act of bullying on the Internet. He talked about the targeting of mobs to specific people, and he said that's what Gawker was doing with Hulk Hogan. Arguably true. But the best answer to free speech in a democracy has always been more free speech. It is not using money to shut down someone else's speech. Because you think that democracy and the flow of free speech, because you think that democracy and the flow of free speech is not enough to keep our Constitution going. When you want to write a check to achieve justice, you are creating the very situation those poor single-digit millionaires can't manage to obtain themselves. And this takes us right back where we started. Peter Thiel has no idea how real people live. Donald Trump is at the head of a party who have no idea how real people live. His entire statement would be laughable if it weren't so serious, because these are the powerful people in a struggling democracy where money rules. We're going to come on back and talk about James Comey's Shall we say contribution? He contributed to the frou-frou around the Hillary Clinton email, quote-unquote, scandal. And we're going to find out about the ethical complaints that have been filed both against Comey and against a certain congressman. We'll be right back. It's the Bradcast.
2: Hey, it's Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. And while the Bradcast and Bradblog.com fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation, we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by Bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions that those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds to stop by bradblog.com slash donate right now. And thanks.
3: I'm Rick Smith. And
2: this is Labor History in Two. Ah, this
3: day in labor history, ghosts and goblins are going door to door to gather up candy. But did you know that some of that candy is made by union workers? In Hershey, Pennsylvania, tagged the sweetest place on earth, you'll find the nation's chocolate center. It wasn't always so sweet for workers, though, who in 1937 tried to win union recognition. Then the company laid off some of the union organizers, claiming it was due to seasonal cutbacks. Outrage. The cat sat on the 600 workers began a sit-down strike in the plant. Local dairy farmers relying on Hershey to purchase their milk grew increasingly angry at the strikers. They joined with workers not participating in the strike and other community members. The angry mob stormed the plant to oust the strikers. 25 strikers were severely beaten and the sit-down strike ended. But the next year, the Hershey workers tried again to form a union. This time, they affiliated with the bakery and confectionery Workers International Union of America and established Local 464. They are not the only union members who help make Halloween sweet. Today, Bakery, Confectionery, Tobacco, and Grain Millers Union Local 1 in Chicago, Illinois makes Tootsie Rolls. If your candy of choice is Clark Bar or Thin Mints, you might wanna thank the members of Local 348 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Local 125 makes Gier Deli Chocolate in San Francisco. Unfortunately, things are not always so sweet. In September of 2016, 400 workers at the Just Born Candy Factory in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania went out on strike. The company decided to change their pensions to a 401k for new hires and reduce healthcare contributions. They make such iconic candies as peeps, Mike and Ike's, and Hot Tamales. One strike slogan rang out, no pensions, no peeps.
0: It's the broadcast. I'm Angie Coyle, and as promised, we are getting details from the horse's mouth on the Democratic coalition against Trump's ethical complaint against Jason Chavez. This is just part of the whirlwind around FBI Director Comey's note to Congress about emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop. And this new complaint is on top of one that the coalition already filed against Comey himself, and it's in addition to their joint statement released with Richard Painter, who handled ethics duties in the George W. Bush administration punchline suppressed. Nathan Lerner, welcome to the show. Nathan is Executive Director of the Coalition, which is an arm of the PAC that he founded last spring. That's Keep America Great. Nathan, it's great to have you on the air with me.
4: Hey, Angie, thank you so much for uh, having me. It's great to be here.
0: I just, you know, a a complete aside, but I thought you'd be amused. I had a number of stories being narrated to me off my computer today, and the FBI director's name kept coming out commie. I just thought you'd
4: appreciate that. (laughs) I I definitely
0: do a little bit, yeah. Uh, Let's talk about why his statement was problematic. And and in a sense, I know a lot of our listeners, uh, they're glued to politics, but some of them are just, you know, coming up to speed after Halloween. And they may not know that here is the guy who's running the FBI, and some new information was found or is alleged to have been found, and he's keeping Congress up to date on what happened with an investigation that has riveted America. So where's the problem there?
4: Yeah, so... You know, from that perspective, things sound fine. But when you really look at what he did, um, it's actually it's extremely problematic. Um, this was a huge story. I mean, this just burst onto of the scene really um, over the weekend and everybody saw it. It was all over the news. Like you said, you, you, you know, Comey's name kept popping up. Um, and it's because, you know, this email investigation has certainly you know, has people very interested. Um, but the issue is. Is it, first, first of all, we don't even know you know what's on the emails, or if there's anything of significance. It's extremely likely that this is absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way he went about presenting this information is it was very vague, and it suggested that you know there was a bombshell waiting to be uncovered. When in reality, that's actually very unlikely. And you know it, the way this came out was oh he's reopening the investigation, like oh there's there's something hiding. There's hundreds of thousands of emails that are gonna you know gonna get Clinton. But like I said, in reality, there's really most likely absolutely nothing here. And he should absolutely have not, you know, made this as public as it, as it became, uh, because now it's influencing the election, which is very, very problematic because as a federal employee, as the director of the FBI, he's actually forbidden by the Hatch Act from doing so, from having any impact on the election. And, you know, we're, we're 10 days out and this is having a very a huge impact.
0: Well, in fact, let's parse his statement a little bit. If he was implying Mm -hmm. that there was a bombshell, that was before they even had the warrants to look into this new, quote-unquote, new information. Is that right?
4: Yeah, I would say so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So with that having come out, I mean, Comey, there's all kinds of speculation as to why he would do such a thing. And one of those, and I'd, I'd like to get your take on this, one of those is that he was afraid to have appeared you know, powerless or being in favor of the Clintons and coming out with it after the election where he would have been accused of suppressing it. Let's talk about his own history. Does anything in his history give credence to that kind of fear?
4: You know, I actually, I don't know his history that well, mm-hmm. um, so it's difficult for me to speak to that. Okay. And I absolutely, I completely understand where, you know, the FBI wants to seem, um, you know, impartial, where they don't want to seem like they're helping Clinton... Um, especially since Donald Trump has been doing so much to undermine you know, really every every facet of our government, including the FBI, um, and you know, I, it, it obviously would look bad if he comes out like you know a week after the election with this information. But I think the way he did it was very insensitive. Uh, there was a much more balanced, uh, much more delicate way of coming forward and, and saying, "Hey, you know, uh, we're looking into this. It's, it's interesting, but there's most likely nothing here. There's just this loose connection to Hillary." But the way he came forward with it and the way it was presented to the media and by the media is, oh, we're reopening the investigation into Hillary Clinton. We have all these emails from Anthony Weiner that are connected to her um, and that there may be a bombshell in. And, again, that's just very inaccurate because there's a very good chance that none of that is true. And they're absolutely not reopening the investigation. They, they simply are looking into Anthony Weiner's emails and, by connection, Hillary Clinton is affiliated with that. Um, and just that, it, it, it's so you know, it's still not even – entirely clear you know what's going on and the fact that there's so much vagueness um, that there's so much such a strong lack of understanding mm-hmm. has led to so much speculation and he should have been more sensitive to that um, and as a result he's had a major impact on the election 10 days out which is unacceptable and we want to hold him accountable for his actions and on top of that if he really did care about you know the FBI seeming impartial and nonpartisan he should be investigating Donald Trump as well and that's something we have, as an organization have called for on multiple occasions um, you know, if you look at how he's undermining our democracy, our, you know, our political system by saying he's not going to concede potentially the results, uh, how his, you know, his, tie, his ties with Russia, how he's calling on foreign hackers to um, you know, basically ha- to hack Secretary Clinton, mm-hmm. absolutely unacceptable. Those alone should be cause for an FBI investigation in addition to numerous other things he's said or done or that his allies have said or done. And it's, it's absurd that of all the things the FBI is investigating, it's this email scandal, which for a year and a half, a year and a half, we have, you know, we've been going through. And as Bernie Sanders said, you know, we're we're pretty sick of it because <laughs> they've uncovered nothing of significance, and it's just it's such a headache that we keep seeing this happen again and again. When you know the real criminal here, uh, in my mind, is, is Donald Trump.
0: Well, it's, and it's interesting, I should note for those who don't remember, you know, Bernie Sanders said that that was a no, uh, a non-issue when he was running against Clinton. So, I mean, it's pretty exactly. notable that he could have used it against her, and even he knew there was not a whole lot of there there. Well, let's talk about the nature of the Hatch Act. Um, those who hear me sitting in for Brad regularly, they know that I live with a conservative boyfriend. It's kind of the Mary Madeline situation <laughs> here. And one of the things that he brings up is that, well, here's Harry Reid, who cites the Hatch Act. Against Donald, against Comey, and in fact, by virtue of bringing up the possibility he should be investigating Russian connections instead, Harry Reid is violating the Hatch Act. So tell me how that plays out.
4: Well, Harry Reid is not a federal employee; he's an elected official. He's you know a partisan uh, member of the Senate. Uh, he is able to say things like this all the time. You know, he's advocating for uh, his candidate. He's advocating against Donald Trump. So he's absolutely allowed um to you know encourage the fbi to investigate donald trump for this just like i am Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know director comey however is a federal employee paid by the federal government and what's funny is i've worked on campaigns where i've asked people to volunteer to you know knock on doors make phone calls and they said they can't because the hatch act and here we have so here we have the director of the fbi who 10 days out has completely shifted the landscape of this race um, and, you know, that's if that's not influencing the election, I don't know what is. Um, and it's, it's, it's it's absolutely absurd that we're seeing this right now. And you need to be able to, to accountable for it.
0: Talking to Nathan Lerner, he's executive director of the Democratic Coalition Against Trump, and he is the founder of Keep America Great Pack. So, as promised, let's talk about how Chavez fits into this picture and why your latest complaint mm-hmm. is filed against him.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, he is somebody who really helped. Push this narrative of oh the you know FBI is reopening the investigation into Secretary Clinton's emails, and that has really pushed forward this false narrative that there's a bombshell here that this is you know a big deal, um, and that this is directly tied to Secretary Clinton's emails. When in reality, like I said, it's more about Anthony Weiner, um, and their investigation into him. Mm-hmm. And so you we know, we want to hold him accountable for that. That was a blatant lie. He knew that was incorrect. He did not had the information for that. And he was releasing information, uh, in addition, from the FBI uh, to the public and to the media, which, as a you know, representative, is really unethical. And that's why we want to hold him accountable. Uh, a big part of our overall approach in fighting against Donald Trump and in fighting against what he represents is holding him and his allies accountable for their actions, for their words. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing that, or we've been doing that for the last few months. We're going to be doing that for the next 10 days. And we are going to continue doing that beyond the election as well.
0: Uh, let's talk about the timeline. You file an ethical complaint, and what happens then?
4: You know, I, I wish I wish I, I knew. Um, we've, we've this isn't the first complaint we filed. This isn't the first time we've called for accountability and action. And you know, that's what's really frustrating is the things Donald Trump and his allies have done are so beyond the norm and so unacceptable that you'd expect. You know, the Justice, Department of Justice, the FBI. Uh, somebody to take some action and hold them accountable, and we're not seeing that. And, and that's why our organization has not let up. That's why we're going to continue to do so and continue to push for this. Um, but I, you know, I would like to see um, an investigation in, into what um, Chavez did, and you know, an investigation into you know how we can hold him accountable. And you know, perhaps we're definitely going to make sure. Not perhaps but we are definitely going to make sure uh, that next time he's up for reelection, that this you know that this will be remembered this will we brought up.
0: You know, lest anybody characterize this as a conversation between a liberal independent and, you know, someone who's working very closely with the Democratic Party, let's bring Richard Painter Mm -hmm. into this. I was a little bit snarky about his history. I just I hear George W. Bush and ethics in the same (laughs) sentence and I I giggle. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, (laughs) But there's something to be said about the justice of forming a coalition of someone with another party who worked with a Republican Mm -hmm. president to say, hey, we agree that there's something really wrong here. Did you approach him? Did he approach you? How did you guys get together on this?
4: Well, we actually, we reached out to him. We saw he was very outspoken in this matter. Um, And, you know, we, as though we are, you know, very strongly democratic, as as our name suggests, uh, you know, we do believe in reaching across the aisle. We do believe that Donald Trump really does transcend party lines Mm -hmm. um, just because he is such a unique uh, threat, such a unique entity. Um, That, you know, one of the best ways to defeat him is to come together, you know, as a really as a country. And so, yeah, we we reached out to uh, Mr. Painter and we wanted to connect with him and help, you know, build a nonpartisan campaign. And we've done so. We've actually received a lot of media coverage as a result of that. And we're very happy uh, with the fact that, you know, this is not just about politics. This isn't just about parties. This isn't just a candidate. It's about a clear violation of the law, um, a clear attempt to influence the election when that's not allowed for a federal employee. And at a certain point, you know, we just, just have to hold people accountable for this. And this has been an election where people like I said have not been, Donald Trump included. And it, it's getting frustrating. So, you know, we're, we really want to throw the kitchen sink um, at this whole incident because it, it's pretty disgusting what went down.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the best possible outcome. As you mentioned, you know, we're talking just, just over a week to the election itself. I mean, it seems like anything that would happen now would be a bombshell and could conceivably alter the election itself. So in an ideal situation, what becomes of Comey? What becomes of your complaints?
4: So I don't think much is going to happen in 10 days. Because that, that's, that is a lot uh, a very short amount of time. But, you know, even if something, if something happens a year from now, As long as the parties responsible are held accountable, Um, as we called for, I would love to see an investigation by the Department of Justice into Comey's actions. Um, You know, I'd love to see a call for him to step down. Um, I would would certainly like to see him step down. Um, And you know, he's already thrown the FBI into internal disputes. I saw an article about that recently, and it's it's unacceptable in in, our time. The time right now, where we have so many domestic and foreign issues that the FBI should be worried about and in investigating that the things they're concerned about is these emails. It's, it's so frustrating. I really want to see them move beyond this um, as an organization and it's, it just move on to the issues that actually matter and actually have some substance to them. And, you know, uh, same thing with Chavez as well. We definitely want to hold him accountable in a similar regard. Um, although as an elected official, I you know, believe the most likely scenario is attacking him on this when he runs for re-election, and, and we, we plan to do so.
0: I really want to thank you for taking the time. I can imagine you're a little bit on the busy side right now, Nathan, so I appreciate the time for the (laughs) phone call.
4: absolutely. This is something we're passionate about and always want to discuss, so thank you so much for having us on.
0: Absolutely. Nathan Lerner is executive director of the Democratic Coalition Against Trump and the founder of the Keep America Great PAC. I'm Angie Carroll of In Deep with Angie Carroll at some of the same stations sitting in to give Brad and Desi a break. Do you think they knew how much was going to happen in <laughs> just the past weekend and Monday so that they could take a little day off? Well, I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. Thanks, guys. any rate, we were talking about some of the bigger things that were in the news. Lots of little pieces. So let me take the last part of our show to kind of look into some of those. Donna Brazil, Donna Brazil shows up in the latest WikiLeaks release. These emails are alleged to show her feeding questions in advance to Hillary Clinton for a town hall meeting. That ain't good. It ain't good, but neither has the coverage been any good. Let, let's take this apart a little bit. First, first of all, as a journalist, I think that more often we need to use the word stolen as opposed to hacked or leaked. When we talk about WikiLeaks getting hold of these emails, the character of the person or entity who distributes information is relevant to the quality and reliability and credibility of that information. That does not at all say that these are inaccurate or that they're ginned up or somehow tampered with. There have been allegations to that effect. May or may not be true. But first and foremost, let's identify where it's coming from and how it got there. I just think it's relevant that these are stolen emails. Secondly, we don't have context for how much information traditionally goes out ahead of time. I think this is a pretty weak stance to take, but it's worth mentioning. So much of what we've seen come out in the Clinton emails, and by the way, Periodically, I want to mention I'm a Bernie supporter. I did not want Clinton to be where she is today, but I am behind her now because the alternative is an orange crazy man. Delusional, psychotic, narcissistic. I am as much against Trump as I am for Clinton. But let's go back to these emails. A lot of what we've seen paraded around about these emails is how extreme they are, how much manipulation went on behind the scenes. Today, well, as I record this, it's Monday. This Monday, big allegation was that they actually considered the race of someone that they would bring on board, who turned out to be Donna Brazil in the campaign. This is politics as usual. This same thing could be discovered in communications all the way back to the aforementioned Lee Atwater Southern strategy. Race is relevant in America race is relevant in politics. This is emblematic of any number of things that are being presented as, ooh, scandal, ooh, conspiracy, oh, Hillary's a demon. No, it's not. It's politics as usual, and we can argue as much as you like about how we need to change politics as usual, and we do. But the fact that this kind of thing has been used to boost the idea that Hillary Clinton is somehow evil, somehow different, somehow doing things that have never been done in politics before is absurd. The other thing about the emails is that they need to be identified as alleged. Let me disclose. I think that's a real email. I just think it because it's the kind of thing that happens in politics. It doesn't make it right. It is the kind of thing that happens in politics. Do I think it's real? I don't know. Do I think it's credible? Absolutely. Do I think it's wrong? Yes. But it matters to say alleged. We don't know. We can't attest to the veracity of those emails. Donna Brazil. Let go by CNN. This is another thing I'm objecting to is the coverage of this. Donna Brazil resigned from CNN two weeks ago. And again, the poor coverage, some of this is spin on blogs, but some of it is in the media, the mainstream, traditional media. CNN has let her go. CNN accepted her resignation October 14th. It's spin. Now, what they may arguably say is that they won't use her again. They can say that CNN, which it did, issued a statement that they don't approve of this. All good. All makes sense. But just like, as we discussed earlier, this concept that the FBI reopened a case into Hillary Clinton's emails, is just not accurate. Donna Brazile resigned from CNN two weeks ago. One last thought on this. We're talking about really important subjects here. We're talking about the honesty of candidates. We're talking about how much debates really mean when it is the longest form exposure to the voters that any presidential candidate has. This all matters. And the fact that it's covered inaccurately and dishonestly blows that out of the water because it becomes just another conspiracy thing. Honesty and coverage goes a long way, a long way. Hey, you want to talk about conspiracy things? This one's brilliant. You heard about the guy who was shouting at the press corps at a Donald Trump rally over the weekend, guy from Arizona, shouting, Jew, S.A., Jew, S.A., name's George Lindell. And apparently he was famous on the Internet before because of the way he described a car accident. And who knows? Maybe the guy just got hungry for more publicity. But the conspiracy theories were hysterical. Let me note first, by the way, this was so appalling that even Kellyanne Conway used the word deplorable. That's a landmark. One of the most amoral people in the business actually said, this is a bad thing. Amazing, but the fun part about that, the fun part is how many Trump supporters, I swear to God, you can throw any facts at these people and they will find a way To make that fact untrue, here we have evidence that can't be denied of how anti-Semitic and hateful these people are, and the word immediately started going around the internet that he was a democratic plant. Clinton put him there. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That was the response from the Trumpsters. Clinton put him there. Just to make it even sillier this guy from Arizona, claims that he, he was misheard. He's just that kind of guy. He told BuzzFeed, I'm around Mexican people all the time. I speak Spanish a lot. That's just the way I say it. He said, Jew, repeatedly because he knows how to speak Spanish to Mexican people. He also told BuzzFeed, by the way, he's concerned that banks act as a shadow government. They have taken power away from the American people. By God, I agree with him. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go with shadow government, but the man's making some sense. Too bad he is just another crazy person from the Trumpster campaign.
2: Yeah,
0: there's some good news going on in the world of politics. This is very cool. You've been following the Grab Your Wallet campaign. There's a lot of conjecture about how powerful social media actually is in engendering long-term, effective, impactful movements. For every Black Lives Matter, and for every Grab Your Wallet, for that matter, there's a call for a boycott on this or that, and people get outraged for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, two days, and then it goes away. The vast majority of these things are just an expression of anger, and and nothing happens to them. But something happened here, and it's attributable to Shannon Coulter, who's from the Bay Area. Homegirl. Good stuff. She started Grab Your Wallet on Twitter, and she was inspired by the fact that Ivanka Trump, an empowered woman, has not stood up for other women to empower them by addressing the fact that her father is a sexual predator. This is a woman with a great microphone. She has the looks that America embraces. She's young. She's blonde. She's attractive. You know, you couldn't really have a better platform than she has by virtue of her looks, by virtue of her company, by virtue of all the cameras pointed at her all the time. And she has not openly disagreed with the many documented ways her father conducts himself he fat she found his comments distasteful uh that is putting it surprisingly mildly but she really you know she could put more distance between herself and these specific incidents of her father's behavior and say, I still believe he is the best president for the country or the best of the two choices. She could do that. Shannon Coulter noticed she wasn't doing that. And she knows the way to an entrepreneur's brain, soul, is through their wallet. So she started a campaign called Grab Your Wallet on Twitter, hashtag Hashtag grab your wallet. And she started appealing to the Nordstrom's and the Marshall's and the DSW shoe warehouse and all these other prominent stores spread out across the country. The Bonton, number of other places. To say, you know what? We can't support you if you are supporting her. We can't come spend money in your house of sales if any portion of that money is going to go to support Ivanka Trump. Now, there are an awful lot of reasons not to support Ivanka Trump's clothing line anyway. China factories, substandard wages, reportedly some serious problems with health care coverage. All kinds of reasons to say this is not the kind of company we want run in the U.S., but the fact is it is. The fact is there's nothing unusual in that sense. But sometimes it's just the last straw for the camel's back. And while she's exploiting workers, while she's making money off other people's misery, which is done all the time in America, she is also enabling a serial sexual predator. And that, Shannon Coulter thought, was enough. Now, here's the really good part about this. This caught steam. This grew legs. One of the best things to come out of it, and you can find this on Twitter, it's very easy, there is a letter that's been written and circulated to Nordstrom specifically about why they should stop carrying Ivanka Trump's products. And it is a template. If you're interested in being a revolutionary, if you're interested in enabling a boycott, this is a template as to how it can be done. Because it says, I understand that you can't stop carrying, I'm paraphrasing here, you can't stop carrying a product any single person or any small number of people has an issue with. And it goes on throughout. It acknowledges the position that the store is in. But then it makes the case that Grab Your Wallet is a campaign about something serious. Nordstrom and Marshalls and all these others, they cater largely to women. This letter and the whole campaign has made the case that if you want to cater to women, you have to understand what's important in their lives, including sexual oppression, including being treated as second-class citizens. The Grab Your Wallet campaign has been covered internationally, from straight news organs to tabloids to blogs It's a great lesson in how it can be done. Is it gonna have impact? I don't know. Next time I'm here on the broadcast, I'm gonna ask Shannon to join me and talk to me about how one measures this kind of impact. At least so far, she has elevated the visibility of this issue hugely, if I may say, hugely. (laughs) a little coda here. Apparently earlier this year, and this story is getting more play, Ivanka Trump was sued by a footwear brand for copying nearly every detail of a popular scandal design. You can find this article in People. By golly, those are two identical shoes. Just a little coda here to say that allegations that she's not quite on the up and up are well documented. That is it for the broadcast. I'm so happy to be sitting in for Brad and Desi again, and I'll probably be seeing you again as we move on into the holiday season. In the meantime, stay aware, stay calm, be well. Bye-bye.